You don't know flag. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is March 26, 2018, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about music. This may be the least organized and possibly longest episode of You Don't Know Flack I have ever recorded. Uh, On this episode, I want to trace my musical history from when I was a little kid all the way up to today. So if that sounds like a fun time to you, then sit back, grab yourself a frosty beverage, and enjoy the smooth sounds of You Don't Know Flack. I was six years old when I got my first record player. That would have been very late 1970s, probably 1979. It was white, uh, plastic, had uh, little removable speakers. It was very, uh, the the stand itself was kind of round. It was very, uh, this was, uh, you know, the age of the future. Plastics were the future. And, um... Uh, I got, when I got that record player, I got my very first record, which was not music. It was the picture disc of the story of star Wars, which I still have. Uh, it had R2D2 and C3PO on one side of the disc and a picture of Darth Vader on the back. That was the uh, very first record that I ever owned. And, uh, I, I used to listen to it (laughs) a lot. Um, but, uh, what I really wanted was to listen to music. I was really fascinated by music as a a young child. And, um, my dad was a, in the air force, he did, uh, electronic repair, but he was also the nighttime or evening disc jockey. And so when he came home from the Air Force, which was before I was born, he brought back a pretty substantial record collection. I'm sure he probably bought some of those uh, outside of that job as well. But uh, so as as a young child, I remember in our living room, we had this big console stereo that was my dad's that had a a record player and a tape player and an eight track player. Um, and, uh, and the whole bottom of the entertainment center was records. My dad's records were on the left and my mom's records were on the right. But, uh, for some reason I was more drawn to my dad's records. And uh, I wrote down a few of the ones I remember, the ones that made the biggest impact on me at the time. The first was Tommy, 
Uh, the, it was the soundtrack version to the movie. So it was, uh, some of the songs are from the who, but also it had, um, like acid queen was done by, uh, Tina Turner and pinball wizard. It's the Elton John version. If you've never seen Tommy, the musical, it is a, a movie about a kid who sees his father get murdered and he goes deaf, dumb, and blind. And, uh, and then the whole movie is about, you know, the, the, links that they go to, to try to get him, try to get Tommy to uh, see again and hear again. And they do some really awful things to Tommy. This is, I mean, literally one of the worst things that you could have a six or seven year old exposed to, (laughs) but that's one of the first albums I remember listening to. Queen, Live Killers. I listened to that all the time. I knew that album, forwards and backwards. Um, Blondie, Parallel Lines. That was one I, I was so even as a young child, I was in love with Debbie Harry. I just thought she was the the prettiest girl I'd ever seen. Um, Jimi Hendrix, Electric Ladyland. That was one that I listened to a lot. And then uh, there were the Beatles. I think probably my mom and my dad both had Beatles albums. But uh, but those were the albums as a little kid that I would go into the living room, sneak the album out. I didn't have to sneak it. They would let me and take it to my room. And my dad had these headphones um, like they, they were metal. They were like, I am probably plastic and metal, but they were like super big. And I had a bean bag and I would put this bean bag in the corner of my room. And I had a little table that my record player sat on and I would put on queen or blondie or Jimi Hendrix and just sit there with headphones on. And that is what, I mean, even as a, a young kid, it's literally one of the greatest memories of my life. Just, um, and this is a theme I'll probably come back to a lot in this episode, but there were no cell phones and so much more than that. So much more than just the cell phone thing. Um, because when you're a kid, you don't have the responsibilities. You don't have the work. You don't have, um, anywhere you have to be. It's just you and that album and, and the album part, the album format was very important. The order of the songs was very important. Uh, you know, you wouldn't just, I wouldn't get a, a Sergeant Pepper out and then just put on song three. I mean, you, I listened to the whole album the same way that I would watch an entire movie. I wouldn't just, you know, pull out a movie and fast forward to the middle and watch my favorite part. I would watch the whole thing and that's how I listen to albums. So, uh, but those albums, those very early albums that, Um, I just have such great memories, like I said, of, of, um, uh, being isolated and being able to listen to that, to put on those headphones and turn out the lights and just sit in a beanbag and listen to those albums. Um, so as I thought about my first external, because that's what, you know, you discover, I mean, you discover music. You can later in life. I think you discover music on your own, but when you're young, it's those outside influences, uh, that, you know, that you get your, your musical influences from, you know, you don't just say, Oh, I, I want to listen to this, or I want to listen to that. Especially when you're a kid, you know, you listen to what your parents listen to or what other people around you are listening to. And my mom 
was on a bowling league. Um, she babysat, uh, several other kids, kids from the neighborhood. And once a week she would go to the bowling alley and probably for, I don't know, maybe two, three hours. I mean, it seemed like, it seemed like the whole half a day, but when you're a kid, you know, maybe, maybe the time frame's off, but it seemed like it was a long time. And we always went to the same bowling alley and they had a jukebox there. And, and it seems like you could get two songs for a quarter. I could be wrong, but that, that seems to be what the, the going rate was. And this was a, of course this was late seventies, early eighties. And, uh, you know, it was almost like a, seemed like a dive bar, but of course it was a bowling alley. Um, the songs that I remember hearing there, and, and I wrote uh, a list here, Don Williams, I Believe in You, I Believe in Love. I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to sing every song. I could sing every word to every one of these songs on this list. There was um, Mac Davis, Oh Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble. Kenny Rogers, the gambler, I, uh, you know, it, uh, any of those types of early songs that told a story I was so into like the gambler, you know, um, the devil went down to Georgia. I remember hearing that a lot. You always wanted to wait because there was the version uh, where he said, uh, the cuss word <laughs> and the version where he said, son of a gun, you know, and you, always, and you never knew which version you were getting until the very, till it hit that, that last uh, verse. Uh, but the one at the, uh, Bowling Alley had the uh, clean version. Uh, Eddie Rabbit, I love a rainy night. Uh, that was uh, a big one that we listened to all the time. Um, so these and and most of these, I'll talk about more here in just a second. But most of these, I ended up also buying the forty fives of, um, just because I heard them so much. I mean, I literally as a a ten year old kid. I mean, even before that, I was like, oh. Take me to Walmart so I can buy, you know, Don Williams or Kenny Rogers. Like, it's kind of a strange um, early influence, you know. But that's, um, you know, mentally I just think of this like smoky, almost like a smoky bar that half of it's a bowling alley. And then the other half, you know, there were a couple of, uh, there's a pool table and some arcade games and stuff. But, uh, and even when we didn't have change to put in the, Jukebox, it seems like the same songs got played over and over. So those were the the songs that I heard the most. Um, But my next big influence was MTV. And MTV started, I did a whole episode on MTV. It started in 1981. Um, But a lot of the, the songs that I heard on MTV, I would go buy the 45s of. I think at that time... 45s were like two for a dollar. So you could go get two 45s at Walmart uh, for a buck. So um, uh, Queen was one. Excuse me. That was a cold beer. Um, Queen, we are the champions and we will rock you. That was one that I definitely had. Um, I also had another one, Bites the Dust, which the B side of that is Don't Try Suicide, which is, again, another strange song that, uh, you know, for a kid to listen to, I remember there was a couple of parts, uh, a couple of, um, uh, phrases in that song that I didn't fully understand that I asked my babysitter one time <laughs> what they meant. Uh, and she told me cause you know, they're a babysitter. I don't care. Nobody's 
let's see who else um big uh uh, like freeze frame, Jay Giles band, uh, freeze frame. I had a flamethrower, um, shake it up, uh, shake it up's another one. The, the B side of that is cruiser. So if you find somebody that knows that song, it was such a non hit, but if they know that song, you're like, Oh yeah, they had the 45. They, they probably listened to it. You know, you come tonight cause you're a cruiser. So those were uh, the big ones. Oh, and um, uh, Juice Newton, Queen of Hearts. That was a big one. I love that. I, that may have been one that I got from the uh, Bowling Alley. I may have heard that. That seems like the type of thing they would um, play there. I definitely remember seeing the video to I Love Rock and Roll, uh, which had a terrible B-side. It had this stupid song called You Don't Know What You've Got. This is a funny story. This whole episode is going to be me doing weird segues into memories and stories. Um, I, we had a, a teacher and this was probably second grade. I think this was second grade. It could have been third grade, but I was really young and there was a girl that, uh, I, I was totally, I just, just totally enamored with. It was the first girl I ever had a super crush on. Her name was Brandy. And, um, uh, she said, that uh, she would go with me. I didn't know what that meant, but apparently we were going out. Um, uh, so we were going together. We didn't do anything together, but we were going together. And uh, I brought, so our teacher during recess, if we stayed inside, would let us play records. And I brought, I love rock and roll. And I said, you know, I'm tired of that song. I want to play the B side. And Brandy said, I remember her exact words, don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, don't make a fool of yourself. Don't play that. And I played it. And then she told me we were no longer going together. Uh, so it did not work out. We broke up over uh, the B side, the uh, love, love lost. No thanks to Joan Jett. Um, and then, um, Jesse's girl, that was another one that, uh, I had that 45. I, I can't believe, um, I don't remember, but it would surprise me if I didn't wear that 45 out. Um, that was just such a, a big song. It was on the radio all the time, but, uh, I definitely, you know, just listen to that 45. So, so that was, um, you know, we would go to Walmart as we were kids or, um, you know, there was a couple other like, uh, uh not skags, but, um, uh, yeah, maybe it was Skaggs. I don't know, but th- there would be a couple of different like department stores and we would go and, and 45s were always 50 cents, you know, two for a buck. And so we would go and I, I would, um, you know, get allowance sometimes like a couple of bucks, two or three bucks or something a week as a kid. And, and that's what I would do. I would go buy some 45s. I could listen to them on my stereo. Now, uh, around, I want to say this was around 1980, and I, I think I remember this because I think it was the same Christmas that um, I got some some uh, toys from The Empire Strikes Back. So that would have been 1980. Um, and I asked my parents for some albums. And so uh, Santa that year 
brought me three albums. Uh, one was the Chipmunks Christmas, which was a big, that was a big, um, you know, everybody knew the uh, Alvin, you know, how he wanted a hula hoop, but, but uh, to have the whole album, there were just all those songs on there. Uh, and then I got the Smokey and the Bandit soundtrack, which I can only remember the title song. I don't remember if I listened to all the other songs, but I definitely, you know, listened to the uh, Eastbound and Down just over and over. Uh, and then I asked my parents for Rick Springfield's album because I love Jesse's Girl. And I can't remember if they bought it or maybe someone else bought it for me, but they bought Rick Springfield uh, comic book heroes, which is a much earlier album and does not have Jesse's girl on it. So it had no songs on it, uh, that I knew. And I, I remember being really upset and I was embarrassed. Like I didn't want to tell anybody it was the wrong album. So I just kept it. And I, I don't think I listened to it that much, but, but, uh, that Christmas, I mean, that's, uh, you know, where I started, like, getting albums, you know, instead of just 45s. Another one, I don't, it seems like this might've been my mom's and maybe I just borrowed it and never gave it back. But I remember there was a, like a KTEL, there were a lot of these KTEL compilations. I'll talk about those in a minute, but, um, but, uh, it was like 20 greatest hits from the beach boys. And, uh, I think I got that. And I don't think I ever gave it back. And I listened to that a lot. Um, again, you know, this would have been the early eighties. So listening to the beach boys was a little odd for, especially for a little kid, but I, you know, anything that was musical, I just loved, um, uh, and again, beach boys fall into that same, like Kenny Rogers, that same, uh, uh, category where they were stories, you know, so you would hear these little stories about how the beach boys were racing cars and, and, uh, doing whatever they were doing. Man, I just, I just love that stuff. Um, a couple other records, one record I got around that same time was, um, one, it was from Wonderland records, which was another, uh, they were a company that would put compilations together, but they would re-record them. And it was songs like, themes like it was uh, it's about star wars it had lightsabers on the front but uh, it was this really strange version of star wars And, uh, so I, I listened to that. I had that. And, um, the next big thing I remember, I mean, this was another MTV thing was I remember when quiet riot came out and, um, uh, come on, feel the noise. That was just such a huge hit. And so I asked for that for Christmas, if I could get that 45 and my parents bought it for me and I opened it up. I was so excited. I was like, come on, feel the noise. Yeah. And my dad said, uh, hey, uh, why don't you put it on the stereo? And I put it on, and halfway through, he said, I don't ever want to hear that again. <laughs> and I I didn't know, like as a kid, I didn't know if there was something offensive about it. I didn't know, you know if he was mad. I think he was, now in retrospect, I'm sure he was just 
Well, I mean, he's he's not. My dad's not going to be a fan of Quiet Riot then or now. Uh, but I don't think he was offended or whatever. I think he was just like, oh, it's not for me, that sort of thing. But uh, but that was like the first thing I remember listening to that was something that my parents didn't want to listen to. Um, you know, it became this thing. I mean, there was a whole world of music and Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and all these things that we all liked listening to. But suddenly there was something that I liked that they didn't like. So that was like this little breaking point for me um, where I was like, oh, you know, I might have my own taste in music. It, it really kind of struck me. Um, right after that, the next year, uh, was when uh, Weird Al's Eat It hit it big. Well, I did have the uh, 45 uh, of Eat It, but then I got Weird Al in 3D. I got the whole album, and it, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start. I've been a Weird Al fan ever since that moment. Um, I would uh, you know, listen to that over and over. I would come up with like stories in my head of what the videos of all those songs would look like. I, I listened to it. I knew every word to every song. Uh, just a, a huge, huge Weird Al fan. And of course it was just the perfect, I was, uh, in 84, I would have been 11. So I was the perfect target age, the perfect demographic for Weird Al and his weirdness. And uh, I'll talk more about Weird Al later, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that hit me at the perfect time. So that was a, a really big thing during that time. Um, Weird Al was not now that I think about it, the only band that I would do pretend, uh, videos to, you know, I had, um, we had a, a, a camera for our VCR. And so I had an acoustic guitar. I didn't know how to play it, but I would, um, get my friend Andy and, um, uh, we would build up what looked like drums out of pillows and I would make him sit behind the pillows. And then I would put on a record like a freeze frame and then we would just do, you know, a fake music video where I would lip sync and, and play the guitar and, um, he would play the drums and they're, they're terrible. <laughs> I mean, I don't show them to anybody. I don't even know if I have any of that stuff anymore, but, um, uh, but yeah, you know, just coming up at another thing, which I could talk about, I'm not going to do an episode about puppets, but I will say that I was into puppets um, I think every kid has a, a short, you know, thing with puppets and we would, um, the, I had the soundtrack to the Muppet movie. And we would create these elaborate, um, 
you know, try to duplicate what they had done in the movies. Like I'd get my friends and then my sister and her friend, you know, that people would come over and we would plan out like all these puppets and we would use strings and, and coat hangers to uh, move their arms and, and things to uh, get them to play music. And, um, and then we, you know, you'd go tell your parents like, all right, come in, we're ready for a show. And they would come stand in the hallway and we would all get in position behind our sheet or whatever and put on these, you know, strange reenactments of puppets playing songs. And I remember almost every time when we were done, like you'd be hot, um, and sweaty, you know, and your arm would be burning and then we'd be done and you would look out and all the parents would be gone. (laughs) Like they had left a long time ago. Uh, but, but, uh, that was really fun. Again, it was that imagining, you know, um, like you were the performer, you were, you know, trying to interpret the songs. I don't know. Um, and then one other record that I had at that time was called star tracks. And I looked this up. Um, this was the, the songs that were on it. Uh, I got it because it has uh, Mecco's uh, Star Wars title on the that's song that's a song one side one. But after that is uh, Foreigner, Cold as Ice. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Firefall, Just Remember I Love You. Stephen Bishop, On and On. Paul Davis, I Go Crazy. And Kiss Christine 16. Man, that was a good album. And um, again, it was that thing where it was like, you know, my parents didn't like Kiss. I mean, even Christine 16 is not a heavy song, but they didn't like Foreigner. They didn't like that stuff. So, so this was like coming into my own a little bit, you know. Now, probably in 1983, I would say maybe 84, probably eight, no, 83. Um, I got a boom box. Now I, I, a friend of mine, Kevin said, uh, you know, at the time back then he didn't think we called them boom boxes and we didn't, we called them ghetto blasters, but apparently, uh, I won't say apparently, but, uh, I don't, I guess ghetto blaster has some, a negative connotation. It didn't back then. But, uh, I guess people have switched to the term boom box. So I, I've switched to boom box. Uh, but I had a boom box or ghetto blaster, whatever you want to call it with a cassette deck. That was my first cassette player. And, uh, I got two cassettes, uh, probably one for my birthday and one for Christmas. Maybe one was called hot tracks. And this is, uh, the, the set list for hot tracks, maniac, sweet dreams, Human Touch from Rick Springfield, White Wedding, Mr. Roboto, King of Pain, uh, This Time, I think that's Brian Adams, uh, Rock of Ages, Def Leppard, Mexican Radio. And Promises, Promises. I mean... It's like, that's like a, oh God, I want to go listen to that right now. (laughs) So many great radio hits on that one cassette. I listened to that cassette nonstop. Uh, I would just, you know, over and over, like you'd play the whole one side, flip it over, play the whole B side and just do that over and over. The other one I got was called Hit Explosion. And let's see, I cut and pasted the set list here. Mickey, Vacation, Young Turks. Abracadabra, uh, Shadows of the Night, 
Gloria, Keep the Fire Burning, and Eye of the Tiger. Again, I mean, it's just hit after hit. So uh, I really got into cassettes at that point, you know. Um, and then right around that same time, that was when MTV, like, you know, took off. So I was constantly finding out about bands on MTV. Um, but with, with my boombox, I could also record songs off the radio. So that's when I started filling up tapes, um, with songs off the radio. And I have all of these tapes and I have dubbed them over to MP3. I'm sure I'll insert a clip here in a minute. KJ 103, the hot FM for Oklahoma City. If you leave from orchestral maneuvers in the dark, it's 220 KJ 103, reminding you again that the first 103 people to show up at the new AMC 8 today and say they listen to KJ 103, going to get a free dinner at Flaky Jake's. And also at Flaky Jake's, ask for your free two for one. Coming back from the lake, looks like he might be just in time. Starting to cloud up just a bit. They say there is a slight chance of thunderstorms the rest of the afternoon and tonight. Well, we got through the weekend, though. That's the important part, right? It's okay to rain now, huh? It's partly cloudy and 80 with Robert Palmer on all hits 104. K-O-F-M. These tapes are filled with uh, songs from Duran Duran, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, Twisted Sister. Um, Van Halen was huge at this time. Jump and Panama. Uh, for some reason, Spies Like Us, like every time they played Spies Like Us, I would record <laughs> a little bit of it. Um, the Super Bowl Shuffle, <laughs> that was uh, the same time, of course, my, my dad being from Chicago, we were big Bears fans. So every time they played Super Bowl Shuffle, I would have to record that. Um, and then Prince, Purple Rain, of course, was just huge, you know. Um, Purple Rain, this is a... Uh, uh, Funny, well, I don't know if it's funny, but uh, I remember Purple Rain was, I think, the first cassette I ever got that had something filthy, <laughs> absolutely filthy on it, which is the song um, Darla Nikki, which, um, uh, I mean, Darla Nikki is a dirty song and not a song little kids should be listening to, but um, that was like the first cassette, I think, that I owned that I was afraid you know, if my parents heard that, uh, I could actually get in trouble. So that was a, a strange thing. That was more than just music my parents wouldn't like. That was like music my parents wouldn't approve of. You know, so that that was a, a different uh, a different animal. But man, did did uh, we listen to Purple Rain? And and you know, I I feel bad for my kids. I I, I um I used to, you know. My kid's idea of Michael Jackson is that he was this weirdo, you know, and, and when we were kids, Michael Jackson was like the coolest, like we all wanted to be like Michael Jackson. We all wanted, you know, I, like I knew kids at my school that had the red leather jacket or had one glove. I mean, it was just a, a um, you know, he was cool. We all practiced our moonwalks. We all <laughs> did all those, those things, you know, so, um, you know, whether you were, it was, um, it was like what was popular was different genres, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, you would listen to, uh, you know, Thriller and then Duran Duran and then Twisted Sister and, and the radio would just play all those hits back to back. So it wasn't, um, you know, only pop or only dance or only rock. It was just, you know, eighties music, man, eighties music. Uh, 
I listen to so much 80s music now, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I have um, Pandora, and uh, I only have a few stations, and that's one of them. It's just, I think there's one called 80s Lip, uh, either Lip Sync or 80s Road Trip Hits or something like that. And, and um, uh, when I'm writing or when I'm doing something and I just want you know noise in the background, that's usually what I put on. So, you know, as I was going in to... This would really start about sixth grade and then moving into mid-high, middle school, uh, is what I call the trifecta. And the three parts of the trifecta are rap, metal, and alternative. And I was exposed to each of those three types of music from three very separate groups, uh, so that's what I'm going to talk about next is um, how I, I started listening to rap, how I started listening to metal, and then how I started listening to alternative. So first of all was uh, rap. Now, I didn't get into rap originally. What I got into was breakdancing. I had the Breakin' soundtrack uh, on vinyl. I had uh, Beat Street, which uh, I didn't like the movie. I liked the the movie Breakin' much better, but... uh, but I had the Beat Street album, and then um, I had this other album called Electric Breakdance, which um, had a few different, uh, like, more obscure rap songs on there. But uh, I got it because it had um, well, it had Jam on it, and it had a version of Rocket, which um, were both uh, uh, songs that I enjoyed at the time. So that was, uh, like kind of where I got my, my start, um, for, uh, um, you know, rap music. And then in sixth and seventh grade in sixth grade, my friend Patrick made a copy of fat boys, the fat boys first album, which I adore to this day. So I was a big fan of the Fat Boys, and then in seventh grade, I met a kid named uh, Ross, and Ross had the first two, I think there may, there, uh, there may have only been two at that time, Run DMC albums, and he had a, a turntable that he could dub things off to cassette, so he made me cassette copies of the first two Run DMC albums, and so... Between the Fat Boys and Run DMC, that is what got me hooked. Um, 
And then, you know, from that point on, it was like where, you know, this sounds bad, but, um, I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in, um, you know, the suburbs of Oklahoma city. So there, well, first of all, I will say this, my senior year. I mean, my, when I was in high school, my last two years of, of, uh, of elementary school, 11th to 12th grade were the only years where there were any African-American students in my school. And, and I think in my graduating class, there was only one. And I graduated a class of 360 people. So that's 359 white kids. Uh, or, you know, I mean, we, there were, of course, Native American and Hispanic and, and um, different, but one black kid, you know. So I did not get exposed to rap uh, or hip-hop, you know, from any sort of like cultural, um, influence, you know, it was me trying to find these things. Um, I remember, you know, hearing LL Cool J, um, I don't remember what I, something I heard first, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe radio, something like, you know, or I'm bad, something like that. And then, and then, you know, going, Oh, what other LL cool J albums are. And then trying to explore from there. Uh, Houdini was, uh, you know, early, I think there was a Houdini song on, um, uh, on that, uh, that breakdance uh, album I had, there was a Houdini song. So I found out about Houdini. Um, Oh my God, I think I'm having a rap attack. Somebody get a doctor, quick, man. She's having an attack. She said rap attack, man, not heart attack. Oh, you mean she's all right then, right? Of course, man. You never heard of a Mr. Magic rap attack? Where's this guy from? Oh, I heard of a heart attack or a big rap attack. But what's a rap attack? Come here, man. I see I'm having to explain it to you like this. See, a rap attack means... DJ's jamming in the street, MC's rapping to the beat. The people downstairs saying they can't sleep, cause the people upstairs are stomping their feet. It's not like they're starting to riot, we'll call the cops, we want some quiet. There's no need for them to get excited, they're just mad because they're not invited. Shaka Khan, I Feel For You, that was a big song, a breakdance song at the time, that was on the, uh, uh, I think that's on the breaking, is that on a breaking soundtrack? I don't remember. Um, and, and then salt and pepper was another big one. Uh, of course their album came later, but, uh, um, you know, it was that same type of thing. Just, uh, you know, trying like searching for stuff. So, you know, you would hear, uh, a song or, or, or something, and then you would just, you know, go try and track that stuff down. So it was really kind of challenging. It was not like it is today where you could just go to Spotify or go to, Pandora or, you know, turn on whatever. I mean, this was even like before MTV rap. So it, uh, it was, you know, you had to find those people at school that were listening to the kind of music you were listening to, but those were the guys, Ross and Patrick, um, that really got me into those early days of, uh, of rap. And then, you know, like I said, you would, uh, go to the record store and, and just, um, you know, look at like those compilation albums. That's what I did a lot was look at the compilation albums and then look at, what artists were on there and, and try to find, um, stuff like that. But, uh, but that was rap. Um, what else? Oh, you know, um, uh, I gotta say ice T now ice T was big for me later in high school. Um, his OG album, original gangster, but ice T had a, uh, a song on the breaking soundtrack called reckless. That song is so tight. <laughs> I love that song. 
once upon a time. A DJ's task. I'm not going to do that. Uh, that was a big one. Run DMC's Raising Hell. That was a huge one just because, um, man, that Rick Rubin, the early Rick Rubin stuff, uh, where he would mix guitars and, and, uh, you know, regular drum beats and stuff to rap that, that stuff was great. Um, and then of course that eventually, you know, seventh, eighth grade, that's around the time that the beastie boys came out. And, and then it was like this little secret world of rap that I had been into all of a sudden exploded. Like all of a sudden you would go into class on every single kid knew the beastie boys and every single kid. I, there have been times I will talk about times where I got into really super obscure music. I'm not saying that the fat boys and run DMC were super obscure. They might've been somewhat obscure in my age group and you know, in, in where my, my, uh, part of the country, but definitely not, you know, that they were not hidden gems, you know, but once the beastie boys came out, all of a sudden it was like everybody, uh, you know, was, um, was into it all of a sudden. So I, I always, what's a better way to say that? I try not to let that ruin my enjoyment of something. I, I have gone through that phase again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I've gone through that phase where if someone else likes things, then I don't want to like it anymore, you know? Um, but, uh, I wasn't there yet. I try not to let, um, let that influence me, but, um, the, the, you know, the, the other band I wrote down here was uh, two life crew. And, uh, I think this was like maybe an eighth grade, something like that. We went on a, a trip for school and someone said, Oh, you got to hear this, um, uh, this album, you know, it's, it's this rap band called two life crew. And I had heard, you know, I mean, I was into beastie boys. I was into run DMC. I was all that. I was like, yeah, I listen to rap, you know, and I heard the two life crew and I, Knew I was listening to something. I mean, you know, I thought Prince, Darling Nikki was bad. Holy camoly. <laughs> it was, um, uh, Two Life Crew was a whole new world. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the thing that cracks me up now is, uh, my daughter is 12. I was exactly 12 years old when I heard the Two Life Crew. And, um, now, like my face, right this moment, my face is blushing thinking about my daughter hearing that stuff, I would, uh, not be happy to find out. Of course, my kids have pretty much unfettered access to the internet. So I'm sure they have seen and heard much worse than two life crew, but you know, just, just, um, uh, the innocence, <laughs> you want your kids to be innocent and, uh, it just doesn't happen. And, and boy was, uh, two life crew, a, um, a, uh, one of those moments where I woke up for sure. So anyway, that, that kind of encompasses rap. Now, next uh, was heavy metal. Now, I had a, a next-door neighbor who was a year older than me, and his he had a brother that was three years older than him. Uh, and that the older brother was into heavy metal. He was into, uh, oh, all kinds of, uh, you know, I mean, this would have been hair metal and stuff like that, but... Um, I remember one day on the bus, he said, my brother's got this new album. It's from this band called Motley Crue, and it's called Shout at the Devil. And I think if you listen to it, it's like demonic or something. And we were like, oh, 
we got to hear that. <laughs> and we went out and got off the bus. And I remember going into his house and him pulling out this album. If you've never seen the record, uh, the album cover of uh, Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil, it is um, flat black with a shiny black pentagram on it. Uh, and it says Shout at the Devil, Motley Crue. And he put this record on. And um, I was like, well, I am 11 years old or whatever, and I am going to hell. <laughs> I literally, I was like, this is the devil talking to us. And when this album's over, he's going to take us home. I did not understand. Uh, there's so much, um, you know, marketing and gimmicks and, and, um, you know, those, those guys were, uh, I, I'm not saying that, uh, the, the members of Motley Crue are, uh, fine upstanding citizens, you know, I mean, they're all, they are, uh, uh, you know, once, once you get to peek behind the, the performance behind the, the curtain of, uh, of entertainment, of course, I mean, at that time they were <laughs> very much out of control, but, um, but they weren't Satan worshipers. They weren't uh, demonic or anything like that. But boy, did we, did we think they were. And, and again, it was um, kind of that thing like, we're listening to something naughty. We're listening to something we shouldn't. And that was a big appeal, you know. Uh, so that would have been, uh, I think Shout Out the Devil came out in 84. And then 85 is when I went to seventh grade. And, uh, that was the year that I met my, my buddy, Jeff, um, uh, my lifelong, one of my best friends, my best friend. And, um, I mean, Jeff and I have been friends since, since seventh grade, since we met. And, um, he introduced me to this other kid named Eric and Eric, he, he was like, Oh, you got to meet this guy, Eric. And, um, <clears throat> Eric had, we went over and Eric had like hair down past his shoulders, which not a lot of seventh graders had. And he was wearing a Metallica shirt. And so um, Metallica's first album was called Kill 'Em All. But what they wanted to call the first album was uh, Metal Up Your Ass. <laughs> they had a logo made of a toilet. And then there was a hand coming up through the toilet holding a knife up, you know, like he was sticking a knife up through the toilet. And so um, I guess they went ahead and made those shirts. And Eric Schultzenberger was wearing that shirt in seventh grade. It was the coolest thing I had ever seen. <laughs> By the way, um, when I met Jeff, uh, this is a true story. I've told this story before. Jeff and I met in seventh grade music class and uh, it may not have been the first day, but it was definitely the first couple of days. And Jeff came into class wearing a Motley Crue t-shirt and I was wearing um, a Blue Oyster Cult t-shirt. I had no idea who Blue Oyster Cult was. I'm sure I did not know that they sang, um, uh, you know, Fear the Reaper, but I had told my mom, Hey, you know, I really want to get some heavy metal shirts. And so she got this shirt for me at a garage sale and it had a, um, like a upside down cross 
like a really small, but at the top, I think this is part of their logo, an upside down cross with a question mark or something. And I was so afraid. Uh, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it was offensive. And so I took a black Sharpie and colored over it. So you, so you couldn't see that part. <laughs> But, um, so anyway, uh, so I'm in music class wearing this stupid blue oyster cult shirt. I don't even know who the band is. And, um, Jeff is wearing this, uh, uh, Motley Crue shirt and the teacher hands out the lyrics and says, Hey, today we're going to learn this new song. And the song was called, you can sing a rainbow. And the song, the lyrics were literally the colors of the rainbow. It was the most childish, inane song I had ever heard. And she's playing the piano red and yellow and pink and green. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And Jeff, we, you know, you remember music class? You had to stand on those stupid risers, you know? And Jeff was on the other side of the room. He walked off the risers and came over and stood by me and goes, he leans over to me and goes, are you going to sing this crap? That's <laughs> the first thing he ever said to me. And I go, no. And he goes, me either. My name's Jeff. And I was like, my name's Robbie. And um, we have been best friends ever since that. That was our bonding moment. Neither of us wanted to sing the stupid rainbow song. Um, so uh, what I found out, you know, within the next year or two, I, Jeff had a Commodore 64. And so that's when I got my Commodore 64. And uh, so we became computer friends, but we also bonded over music. And Jeff was the person who introduced me to Ozzy Osbourne. He was the first person that had um, Blizzard of Oz. And uh, there was another kid that had, uh, I think it was the Ultimate Sin and... Um, uh, but Jeff, uh, was big into a diary of a madman and, uh, like I said, blizzard of Oz. So that's, you know, he introduced me to Ozzy and then we have another, uh, friend, Scott, who I met, uh, in early elementary school, kindergarten or first grade. And, um, I don't, I don't know how Jeff met Scott, but, but somehow we, we had all met Scott was huge into kiss. He was the biggest kiss fan I knew. And he was also a fan of uh, ACDC. He was a big ACDC fan. I knew ACDC from uh, uh, the radio hits. You know, Back in Black was always on the radio. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, All Night Long was a big radio thing. But but he was big into ACDC, you know. And then I was more like um, Metallica, uh, Motley Crue still. Um, Oh, what else at that time? Anthrax. Uh, and then, uh, you know, all the, like SOD, the spinoffs, uh, from that stuff. Um, and then as we got together, we started discovering music together. You know, I don't remember. I think it was probably Scott that introduced us all to, uh, uh, to Danzig, you know, that would have been, um, early, early high school, 10th or 11th grade, something like that. Um, uh, one of Jeff's friends, I believe now, you know what, um, there was a kid, a guy named Jay who sat in front of me in 11th grade and he had a Mohawk. He was one of two kids in our school that had a Mohawk and he wore this vest. And on the back of the vest was the misfits logo. And, uh, I finally asked him what it was and he told me it was the, a band called the misfits. I didn't even know they were related to the, to dancing, but that was how I discovered the misfits. Put them on my road, have 
this was probably ninth or tenth grade. Um, Scott came to school and he was like, you guys, I found the greatest thing. It's a cassette club. And we were like, well, what's a cassette club? So if you don't know, maybe you're too young. Um, but, uh, so these tape clubs were in magazines. They advertised them in magazines and the way that they worked, there would be an ad and it would say, um, you know, pick 11 tapes for one penny. And the numbers would always differ depending on the, you know, Columbia, Sony, those were big ones. Um, but you would pick 11 tapes and then mail them a penny. And then the agreement was, you know, based on how many you got free, you had to agree to buy X amount of tapes over the next year. And once you had, um, completed that obligation, you got like six more tapes. So basically, you know, if you agreed to buy three tapes, you were basically getting like, you know, almost 20 cassette tapes. Now, later on, we learned that they were not the original cassette tapes. They were, you know, just cheap dubs. They, they sounded fine, but like, I remember a friend of mine had, um, guns and roses appetite for destruction. And he mentioned the inside artwork. Well, my copy of guns and roses appetite for destruction, the inside was just blank white. There was nothing in there. And I noticed his cassette was clear, um, you know, with white writing on it. And mine was just a plain white tape with black printing. So they were cheaper copies of the cassettes, but I didn't care. Um, and I got so many tapes during that time. I mean, you know, you would say you have 11 free tapes coming. So you're like, I, you know, I don't know who Iron Maiden is, but they sound great. So give me five Iron Maiden tapes. <laughs> give me this, give me that, you know, every Metallica tape, every Motley Crue tape. Uh, and then, so the thing was, once you met your obligation, you could quit the tape thing and then you could rejoin. <laughs> it was the greatest thing. So you would buy your 20 tapes and spend, you know, $15, $20, whatever. And then you would quit and then wait a month. And then you would sign right back up and get 11 more free tapes and then buy. Because there was no, um, it wasn't like you had to buy three tapes, but it could only be every so many months or whatever. You could do it right away. So, you know, within a month, we would get our 11 free tapes, buy three, get four or five free more and then quit. So you got your 20 tapes, you know, for whatever. And then, um, and then wait, you know, a couple of weeks and then sign back up. So yeah, we were all doing that. And then of course, um, you know, I, I, by that time I had a stereo that had, um, two tape decks so I could make copies of tapes. So, you know, gosh, if Jeff got, um, you know, tapes that, that I didn't have and vice versa, we can make copies, you know? So, um, you know, anything that I've ever said about music piracy or, uh, I mean, about uh, computer piracy, uh, probably applied to music too. And, and this was not the days of, you know, download an MP3. I mean, if you wanted a, a copy of a, uh, uh, hour long album, yeah, it took an hour to, to copy it, you know? Uh, but yeah, Jeff, Scott, I, I mean, those were my big metal friends and they still are my metal friends. I've been to lots of concerts with them over the years and, um, uh, and you know, <laughs> we still love, I think the same music that we loved when we were 16 years old. Um, so that kind of covers how I got into metal. And then the third would be alternative and alternative music. There's really one person that got me into alternative music. And that was my friend, Justin. Now I met Justin, um, I think in eighth grade and I met him over the modem. He lived uh, in Norman. I lived in Yukon. So it was a 45 minute drive. 
Um, and, uh, you know, by then I was definitely friends with Jeff and Scott. So I was all into metal and I definitely, you know, had all my rap stuff. And so I go down, you know, to, to hang out at Justin's house and I'm like, Oh, what kind of music do you listen to? And he starts naming bands I have never heard of. Um, here are just a few of the bands. I just wrote these down, uh, that I found out through Justin. Uh, number one, the cure, <laughs> um, I think, I don't know exactly when it came out, but I think it had come out very recently when I met Justin. Uh, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Um, The Sugar Cubes, which was uh, Bjork's original band before she went solo. Big Pig, um, who is probably most well known for uh, their song Breakaway, which was featured in Bill and Ted's, but uh, uh, we were listening to it uh, well before uh, Bill and Ted. But uh, Big Pig was, um, I think there's like seven members and like four or five do percussion. Uh, so. Uh, Then uh, Love and Rockets, which was the um, pretty much the three-piece version of Bauhaus after uh, uh, they they split uh, with the original singer. Um, but Love and Rockets, um, I think I discovered the Smithereens through Justin uh, and definitely Sinead O'Connor. And, I, and Sinead O'Connor is somebody, you know, it's just unfortunate that um, there was the whole Saturday Night Live, where she ripped up the picture of the Pope, and um, uh, Sinead O'Connor in recent years has had some some mental issues. She she definitely has some, uh, uh, you know, un, she's un- unstable and and definitely needs some medication, needs some help, and unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes those things play out through social media, and they really shouldn't, in my opinion. But uh, uh, that the first. And she's done other great things, of course, but the first Sinead O'Connor album is unbelievably good. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's one of those, I have the entire album on my phone today. I have probably most of the albums I've mentioned so far on my phone, but uh, that, that first Sinead O'Connor album was uh, just absolutely good. also was a fan of Roxy Music and the Smiths. Those are two bands that I didn't really get into. Uh, I've listened to them since then, and, and I can definitely appreciate them. But uh, uh, they weren't they weren't things that uh, that I, I gleamed onto at an early age. Uh, but but so Justin, he was my alternative guy. You know, um, uh, I remember I spent the night at his house the weekend that um, 
that MTV Headbangers Ball debuted the video for Metallica's One. And it was a big deal because um, One was uh, uh, Metallica's first video that ever aired on MTV. And this was the debut. So it was not just a debut of the video for that song, but it was a debut of any Metallica video. And uh, I told him, I was like, hey, I could spend the night, but I have to watch this video. And I think... If I remember right, I went in the other room. He didn't even come watch it. He was so not interested in Metallica, which is funny because, um, uh, well, later on, like we, you know, I, I brought him over to the dark side. <laughs> he now listens to uh, lots of uh, heavy metal and stuff. And and actually, I don't think he listens to the alternative stuff that we used to listen to together. So it's kind of funny. But um, uh, And then, uh, you know, I wrote two other things here, and, and these aren't uh, – I, they're under alternative. One is uh, the Violent Films, and the Violent Films I discovered through a friend of mine named Lewis. Um, Lewis is also the person who uh, the first person I had the uh, he had the the soundtrack to the movie Colors, which uh, was a really good um, uh, uh, hip hop. You know, well, it had uh, Salt and Pepper, it had Ice T, it had um, you know all these different uh, Eric B and Rakim. Uh, uh, painted fools on there anyway. Um, but, uh, Lewis and I were skateboarding buddies. We were both into skateboarding. Now, some of my other friends skateboarded, but, but Lewis and I were both, we both, uh, had a knack and we wanted to work on tricks and learn how to ollie and do rail slides. And we, we were just really into skateboarding. And, uh, I remember going over to his place and taking my skateboard and he had this little boom box and he put it out there and we listened to the violent films and I had never heard. I was like, what is this? It's like hillbilly punk, weird acoustic, you know, and we listened to that album so many times. And, and that was, um, you know, some of the, the alternative that, uh, um, that Justin exposed me to like the cure, like it was deeper than, um, uh, Motley Crue, <laughs> you know, Beastie Boys would say, you know, we want to fight for our right to party. Okay. Well, there's no hidden meaning there. Like you get it, you know, uh, but the violent films for some reason just felt like really mature. It felt really like college radio, even though we were, you know, eighth and ninth grade or something, but, uh, violent films, um, definitely had this mood about it. You know, it was definitely this, um, I don't know. It was just this feeling like it was, uh, like for older kids or something that we were listening to. And the other uh, tape, I got this tape from a kid named Matt. And um, Matt was into music. I was into music. And uh, he said he was going to make me a, a tape. And um, the tape has, I still have this tape. Um, one side of it is um, uh, Dead Milkman, Big Lizard in My Backyard. And the other side is Minor Threat. Um Minor Threat is a uh, was an early punk band, and uh, Ian McKay, the lead singer and founder of uh, Minor Threat, went on to 
uh, form Fugazi. And, um, uh, but, but minor threat was, um, I believe, you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe minor threat was the first band that was associated with, um, the straight edge movement, you know, the kids that would put X's on their hand because they uh, didn't drink and didn't smoke and didn't do drugs, anything like that. Um, but, uh, I had never, you know, I, when I got that tape, I had not been exposed to the misfits yet. And I, I mean, minor threat was really like the first punk band I, I had, and they're, they're not punk. I mean, uh, I guess, uh, you know, they're more East coast, uh, hardcore, but, uh, minor threat was, was, uh, mind blowing to me, uh, that people could play that fast. And, um, Because even in, in heavy metal, I mean, back then, I don't, I don't think people were playing that fast. Uh, and Dead Milkman was, um, you know, hilarious. Um, I, I think I have every Dead Milkman album. Some, some are hits and some are misses, you know. I mean, they're not all as funny, but uh, um, that's that uh, Big Lizard and uh, Beelzebubba <laughs> are both uh, on my phone today. Talent is hurting my tender feet. The air smells like rotting fish in solar cane. I hate the people on the beach with their towels and umbrellas. They're so insane. I don't want to be on the beach now. So, uh, fast forwarding a little bit and I'm, I'm, you know what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a 30 second music break right here. So, uh, at the age of, uh, 14, I got a job with a local concession stand. Jeff worked there and my friend Andy worked there. My two best friends at the time. 
Uh, they both worked at a concession stand. I mean, uh, so my three best friends growing up were, um, Jeff and Andy and, uh, and Justin, you know, so all, all my friends and Justin lived too far away, but Jeff and Andy both worked at the concession stand and Jeff's mom was like the manager or something. And so they got me a job. Uh, and so it was, I mean, if you can imagine this three best friends in the world working at a concession stand, we got paid $3 an hour and plus all you could eat and all you could drink. So they were paying us three bucks an hour. And then we would sit there and eat, you know, 10 Kit Kats an hour and drink Dr. Pepper. I probably, I put on so much weight <laughs> at that job and got so many pimples, you know? Uh, but we would just sit there and, and eat popcorn and chew bubble gum. Like you'd chew gum and chew it 10 times and spit it out. You know, you're just so, so wasteful. Um, but I was making any, depending on how many hours we worked, I would make anywhere from 60 to a hundred dollars a week. Uh, and that's crazy, crazy money. I had no bills. I had no nothing, you know? And, um, but I had a motorcycle, you know, which I could fill up for like $2 or something. Uh, so I would fill it up. Then I would go down to, um, the music store. There was a couple different music stores and I would go down there and, um, uh, I would look through the magazines to see, you know, like what albums are coming out and stuff like that. And, um, I just started buying albums like crazy. Uh, now when I, when I say albums, but I mean cassettes, uh, because I was pretty much out of once I, I got out of the breakdancing phase. So like 84, 85, uh, I was pretty much done with vinyl, everything from that point forward, uh, all the, all the heavy metal stuff, all the alternative stuff, everything from then and on forward until, um, the last few years has been, uh, well, was cassettes. And then of course CDs, um, but, uh, you know, I'd listen to the radio. There was like a Friday night show called metal shop and I would listen to that and then um, go look for those bands. Um, I would, I would watch MTV and watch for bands, uh, that I liked and see what t-shirts they were wearing. And then I would go buy the albums from those bands. Um, uh, oh, beer's coming up. Uh, I would, uh, um, sometimes I remember going to, uh, there was this local, there were a couple of local music stores. One was called rainbow records. One was called midnight music. I would go there and just flip through and look for bands that look cool. Like DRI. I remember I was like, Oh, this looks like a cool band. I bought it. Didn't know the music, didn't know anything about them. Uh, just, you know, based on the album cover, thought it was cool. That was, um, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely, uh, I think maybe some anthrax stuff. There was some other stuff. Um, but you know, just based on a band name or the artwork, I would buy it. Um, and then the best thing was, when someone at the store would see you and then they would come over and start talking to you and, uh, you know, they would say, Oh, what do you like? What do you listen to? Well, I, I listened to Metallica. Oh, well, have you heard Megadeth? No. Okay. And then they would, you know, so they would recommend you things. And, um, that was, uh, that was the best man. I mean, that's something, obviously we, we have that in a way through the internet. I mean, people could just say, Oh, listen to this, you know? Uh, I mean, you could get recommendations, but it was just different. It was really personal. You know, it was like someone would just, would just spend time with you and, um, you know, uh, give you that minute where you would say, Oh, you know, they'd talk to you, you know, just talk to you and, and talk about music. And uh, man, I missed that. I missed that so much. Um, now I, I was almost going to say, uh, that's where I found out about, um, Jane's addiction, but that's not true. I, I learned about Jane's addiction from our 11th grade, I think it was 11th grade sociology teacher. 
Um, we had a, a sociology teacher who, uh, God bless him. <laughs> uh, he was a coach and he was genuinely concerned for us. We would come in and the guy sitting in front of me is the guy that had the, the misfits thing and a purple Mohawk. And then there was us, you know, the, me and my buddies and we're wearing, you know, Metallica shirts and Motley Crue shirts and all this. And he was really concerned for us. And so, um, he blocked out like three days of class and brought in one of those, um, I, it, the era is of course referred to as the satanic panic when, um, people and, and, uh, were, were concerned about, uh, you know, evil messages and music and rock music and, uh, movies and books and things like that. And he brought this tape and it took us three days to watch it. And it was all the bad things that were in rock and roll, you know, like all the, the evil, all the stuff. And literally this could not have backfired worse for him because we found out about so many great bands. I am sure I learned about Slayer from that video. I had never heard of Slayer and um, they were like, you know, one of the worst My sense of humor, I think, uh, especially as time goes on, my sense of humor is becoming less politically correct. Like I will laugh at something and people go, well, you can't laugh at that. And I'm like, well, I just did. Um, but the, uh, rain and blood album has, is the same album. It's such a short album, uh, that, um, uh, it's the same album on both sides of the cassette because the songs are so short. So it's, it's however many, eight, 10 songs or whatever. And it's the same songs on both sides. So the first side is side six and the other side is side six, six. I thought that was the funniest thing. Like, Oh, I get it. Six, six, six. Right. Um, and if you know Slayer, um, you know, especially Tom Araya, really nice guy. Of course they sing about really horrible things, you know? Um, but in real life, he's, he's a nice person. And, uh, but, but, you know, for a teacher to be like, well, you can't do that. It's just going to make you want to do it. And I remember every time that thing went to a a commercial break, it played this little clip of Jane's addiction and it played it so much that we were like, man, that's pretty catchy. (laughs) So that's literally, that is literally how I found out about Jane's addiction. So. I feel so bad for, um, sorry, coach Pierce. Um, I, his heart was in the right place and he was really trying to, um, 
educate us about the evils of uh, music, but instead he turned me into a Slayer fan. I'm pretty sure that plan failed on his part. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, during, during those years at the concession stand, I was just buying tapes. Um, I bought one of those things that went on your wall that held a hundred cassettes and I filled it up and then I bought a second one and I started filling that up. Um, and then, you know, I got a real job, well, a real job. I worked at a, a pizza place and, uh, was making even more money and I just kept buying music, you know, and then the, uh, thing about, you know, having a car, I had a cassette player in my car. Right. And, um, I, my, uh, well, my first car was this Mustang, but, uh, uh, I wrecked it pretty quick, blew it up. But the second car was a black formula firebird. And so I decided that, um, my theme song would be back in black. So I would, um, uh, you know, rewind the tape. I think it was the first song on the, on the first side, I would rewind it all. And, uh, you know, it, it, there was no pause or anything. So you would wait right till the music was starting and then you would eject the tape and turn it down. And then I would pull into the school parking lot, push the tape in and then crank it up so that, uh, and of course the stereo was so wimpy that I'm sure nobody else heard it but me. And they were like, what, what's that mosquito buzzing? Mosquito singing back in black. But yeah, man. So I had my, uh, my cool theme music, you know, you know what other one I had was, um, I got the, um, movie soundtrack to, um, less than zero and it had some cool cover versions. I love, I love really good cover versions of songs that had a cover version of, um, uh, in a God DeVita by Slayer. <laughs> And I would, uh, I would cue that up and play it, uh, whatever I pulled into the park a lot. I thought that was so cool. Um, so, you know, during the same time I started buying music magazines and, um, you know, music magazines at the time would have like one page posters. I mean, like a, just a full page picture of different bands. And I would use a razor blade and cut those out. And I started sticking them on my wall with the tacks. And then I got to the point where my whole wall uh, and then multiple walls were layered like wallpaper with pictures, you know? So like I had one whole, my, my room growing up had five walls. It was kind of a, a strange shape. And the, and the fifth wall was a, a kind of a short angled wall. And, uh, I had the whole wall covered in Metallica and then the other walls were, um, Oh, just whatever random bands that had cool pictures in the magazines. But I would, uh, I would pull those out and stuff, you know? Uh, but yeah, it, it, you would, um, get those magazines and I would get Rolling Stone and, um, you know, whatever circus and hit parade and rip. I loved rip. And then you would go to the, the music reviews and see what, what albums were coming out. You know, I mean, basically you had to find out from either MTV or, or, um, uh, radio sometimes for new bands. Uh, but then magazines were a big part of it too, you know? So, so that's, uh, you know, I, I guess I kind of wrapped all that up, but, but that was the triad, you know? So I had, Jeff and Scott who loved 
rock and loved heavy metal, but they hated rap. They did not like rap, uh, and they did not like alternative music. And then, um, you know, then I had Justin who loved the alternative stuff, but he didn't like metal. He didn't like rap. Uh, and then, uh, like I had my friend Lewis, I had Jamie, um, that were into, uh, rap and, and, um, iced tea later on, um, my senior year, uh, early senior year was when, uh, NWA hit big and easy E and, uh, that was another time where, you know, I felt like, wow, I've been listening to uh, rap for, you know, five, six, seven years. And all of a sudden people are like, Oh man, this NWA. Uh, and I was like, yeah, like I, you know, I know, who th- I know who these people are, but, uh, um, also my senior year, there was, um, this guy named Doug. And, um, Doug moved to our school and he was like this mysterious kind of dude. Um, he had long hair and, um, and I always thought he was super cool. And, uh, I recently found out uh, he just blocked me on Twitter. So I don't think he thought I was as cool <laughs> as I thought he was cool. Uh, but I liked Doug and, um, uh, Doug introduced me to, um, uh, faith no more. And, um, I think at one point he, I think he had an older brother and he was like, you got to listen to this. And he introduced us to black Sabbath. And, um, and also I think he was the first person I ever heard of, um, the dead Kennedys through. So he listened to some stuff that was a little bit edgier and harder than what I was into, you know? Um, but, um, I don't know if you ever met that person, like when you're young and you meet that person and all of a sudden, like they're listening to stuff that's like way more advanced than you. And, and they just seem like more sophisticated or in the know, but that was Doug for me, man. He was, um, uh, you know, he was just that guy that, uh, um, you know, made me feel like my stuff, like I was listening to kids stuff and he was listening to real stuff. So, um, um, I'm sorry that he blocked me, <laughs> but he still has good uh, taste in music. Um, now my, my senior year, and I'm going to talk in a little bit about concerts, um, but, uh, my senior year, it might've been late junior year, early senior year, but, uh, I mean, this is very, very early. It was like 90, 1990. Um, I discovered a band called Wrathchild America and they had a song called climbing the walls, which uh, has this great, it starts off with a great riff. And, um, they were touring and they came to Oklahoma city. And so, um, now I had already seen faith no more, uh, at a tiny club. I saw him at a club that had like, I think the max was like 200 people. It was really crazy. Um, and then, uh, so I, I go to see Wrathchild America and the opening band was this little band from Texas named Pantera. <laughs> You know, I went 
to see Wrathchild America, and I loved Wrathchild America. I still love Wrathchild America. They uh, later on they became uh, Souls at Zero, which um, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I had a uh, a group, an online group called Souls at Zero, which is exactly where I stole the name from, except for. They were S-O-U-L-S, and I was S-O-U-L-Z. So, see, it's totally different. Um, but uh, Wrathchild America uh, had Pantera open for them, and Pantera was just absolutely amazing. Uh, at that show, when we left, now I already owned Wrathchild America on cassette, but uh, at that show, I bought uh, Pantera's first cassette, and when we left... I was out in the parking lot and we started driving and I put the cassette in. And when the first opening riffs of Cowboys from Hell started playing, which I will play here in just a second, I pulled my car over because I couldn't believe it. The riff, the the production, everything. I was like, oh man, this this band is going to be big. I knew it. I knew it the first time I heard them. And um, they said, hey, we're going to be coming through here again, you know, in, in uh, six months or something. And the next time they came through, Wrathchild America was opening and Pantera was headlining. Now, I have seen Pantera live, uh, I think, four times. Um, and I, I feel, you know, I was just at the right place at the right time before uh, they imploded and, and, um, and, you know, uh, they broke up, you know, of course. And then of course the terrible uh, tragedy with Dimebag, uh, where he was shot uh, while performing on stage later. But, um, man, I feel so lucky. Uh, like there's so many people that are younger than me that like, I can't believe you got to see Pantera. I'm like, man, I got to see him a lot, you know, and, and they, they were, you know, based three hours from here. So they would play Dallas. And when they were done playing Dallas, they would come play Oklahoma city. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I feel, uh, I feel really fortunate for that. My, uh, senior year for graduation in uh, 1991, I got a, uh, a boom box that had a CD player and, um, I didn't have any CDs, but that was 1991 Christmas of 91 is when I got my first CD player. Uh, well, Christmas of 90 technically. Um, and, uh, so I went to this music store and, uh, they had, uh, a little used section. I bought Cypress Hill. <laughs> that might've been actually might've been the next year, but uh, right around that time I bought Cypress Hill. Uh, but the first two CDs I bought, the first two things I bought on CD were violent films and, uh, the cure kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Those were the first two things I went. And right after that, well, this is later. I'll get into that in a minute, but, um, but those, those were definitely the first two. Now I graduated, uh, in 1991. So I would have graduated in May of 91. And then I had the summer of 91. And in the fall of 91 was the fall of grunge. Now 
for those of you that I haven't lost already, <laughs> um, I did a whole episode. I did a whole podcast about um, the uh, um, video game crash and kind of and the point of that episode was, first of all, the video game crash is definitely overrated. And second of all, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, in the, the 80s. But the second point was I didn't notice the video game crash. Um, you know, I, I mean, I I wasn't paying for games. So when they got cheaper, I didn't notice. And, you know, before, I was also doing computer stuff. So, um, you know, historians and, and people that talk about music and stuff, they talk about how grunge killed metal and, and all this. And, and the bands definitely talk about that, you know, but as a, a fan of music, I didn't really notice that. Um, my, I mean, the bands that I liked, obviously over time they quit putting out music, but, um, you know, for me, it was just like, Oh, there's this other kind of music. And, and I was big into it, man. I mean, you had, um, uh, you had Pearl jam, uh, you had Alice in Chains, uh, of course, you had Nirvana, um, Soundgarden, and Stone Temple Pilots. Those are the the five that uh, I think were the the big five. Um, I went to a concert. Um, I want to say it was um, maybe the spring of '92. I mean, Nirvana was really blowing up, um, and uh, just starting to, just really, just starting to blow up, and. Um, I think it was dream theater maybe that I went to go see. I don't remember, but, um, but I was at this show and the opening band had played and, um, <clears throat> they were, uh, they were leaving the stage and the, the guy that was doing the house music and the lights and stuff put on Nirvana's Nevermind. And I had, I don't think I had ever heard it at that point. Um, and, uh, the band, the next band was coming on and they started to turn the music down and people almost started writing. They were like, no, we want to hear this. And we sat in this room while they played the entire album. And, um, it was the, one of the strangest things. I mean, it was a really strange experience. Um, and it was like, you know, a couple hundred people just sitting there. And it was that same kind of feeling. Like when I saw Pantera, it was the same feeling of like, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be huge, you know, and, and everybody knew it. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't make sense. That story doesn't make sense that we would have listened to it for an hour while a band waited to go on, but we listened to it for a long time. I mean, people really wanted to hear Nirvana and, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a super strange experience. I, I totally remember that of, um, people not wanting the house music to go down that they wanted to keep listening to that over hearing, um, whoever the band was. Um, but, um, uh, I, <clears throat> I had not fully made the switch to CDs in 91. I had a few CDs, but they were so expensive. CDs at Walmart were like $16 at the time. And you could get cassettes around town at the used place. I could get cassettes for five bucks, you know? So you had to really want something on CD, um, to get it. That didn't happen for, um, a couple more years. Um, but, uh, then I went to college, you know, I started college in the fall of 91, uh, and, um, along with grunge, uh, the new beastie boys album was out. So I, I listened to that. Um, I was friends with, uh, the, these two guys, Chabon and, um, uh, Jim, and, uh, they were both, um, uh, native American guys and had, um, uh, I, I don't even know where they got their background in music from. But, um, uh, 
Chabon was super into Led Zeppelin. And I, I had known a couple of people that listened to Led Zeppelin, but I was not a big Led Zeppelin fan, but he definitely turned me on to Led Zeppelin and, um, he turned me on to ministry and I had never heard ministry before. And, um, uh, of course ministry is kind of a gateway drug to, um, heavier industrial kind of music, but, uh, yeah, ministry was, uh, a blind, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, uh, like that, this is like, um, I think Psalm 69 was, uh, was the big one at the time. So, uh, just one fix and, um, uh, new world order, all the, all those, uh, ministry stuff. Um, this was definitely, I had Cypress Hill in college. Um, and then I started getting into public enemy and I knew who public enemy was, but, um, I, I think, um, when I was first exposed to public enemy, I didn't, the, the arrangements were too complicated for me. So I didn't appreciate him. It sounded too much like noise. And, um, and, and later, you know, in college, when I listened to it again, I was like, oh, this is really intricate. This is really interesting, you know. Um, I mean, the lyrics I had always appreciated, but uh, um, but the, the whole, uh, I mean, this was like um, Apocalypse 1991 or Apocalypse 91, like um, that album was out. And uh, that, that really drew me into them. And then, uh, of course, I went back and listened to... Um, you know, nation of millions and, and all the old stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I got into public enemy. Um, in college, this is a funny story. Um, I, I went to this party, um, and, uh, you know, as people, as mostly people I knew, but it was like, uh, the person who threw the party was a friend of a friend. So it wasn't my direct circle. And, um, and then of course they had other friends that I didn't know and they had brought friends. So, so, you know, maybe I knew half the people at the party and, um, there was this girl and, um, man, she was just super hot, just smoking hot, you know? And, um, she mentioned, um, I think she, she might've mentioned nine inch nails or something. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, Trent Reznor. And, and um, I mean, I, it was tough to, to, um, uh, to trip me up on music trivia. It, it still is today. And, um, you know, we started talking about alternative stuff and Jane's addiction and, and, um, uh, you know, even, uh, like, um, Oh, you know, deeper stuff like, um, my life with the thrill kill cult, I guess uh, that, that kind of music. And this girl knew everything I knew and, and we hit it off. And I mean, if you had seen me, 
at that age. Like I had a bad mullet hair. I, like I had the mullet, but then I've got the side shaved, you know, and the back. So it was like a top knot, but it really didn't look good. It just looked greasy. And like, I needed a haircut and, you know, I, and, uh, you know, it had, didn't have terrible acne, but I had my share of it, you know? And, um, like I was not a catch, you know, a little bit overweight at the time. And this girl did not need to be talking to me, but, uh, she was man. And, and so we started talking and, um, we talked and talked and talked like we talked until, you know, three, four, five in the morning and everybody else is passed out and they're and going to sleep. And, uh, I was like, you want to go get some waffles? And she was like, I would love some waffles. And we went to the waffle house, she and I, and, um, I just remember talking to her about music and, um, like, like we had made this super deep connection. It was, uh, um, I mean, I can remember the things that we talked about. We talked about so much. And, um, anyway, I ended up taking her back to the person's uh, house, the party, you know, and left and, and, uh, I really felt like I had just made this like super deep connection with this girl. And, um, I found out the next day that, um, that this was literally the first person I had ever met that had been on cocaine. (laughs) So, um, which was why she was talking really fast and for 24 hours, (laughs) basically. Um, and, uh, after the party, she wanted nothing to do with me and would not return my calls. (laughs) So that was the end of cocaine girl. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> but I'm telling you what, it was a great conversation that night. <laughs> oh, poor cocaine girl. Poor me. Um, so, um, you know, I, I was really, um, into this kind of alternative and not alternative. I don't know what you call it. I, I guess if you want to call it industrial metal, um, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson. The first Marilyn Manson album is so good. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, he was always weird, but then he just got weird for weird sake. But the first album I just really enjoyed. Um, and I'd kind of got away from, I mean, that was my heavy, you know, Marilyn Manson was my heavy music. Um, Nine Inch Nails is my heavy music. I think it was 94. Um, I could be wrong. 95. I want to say 94. Um, I heard, um, corn corn's first album came out and, um, corn is one of those bands that kind of went on to do like stuff that I didn't care for, but that first corn album was so good. And it was so original. And, um, 
you know, it's like a lot of things. It's kind of like the grunge thing. Like the original pioneers were doing something original, and then the eight million bands that came later were not that interesting, you know? Um, and Korn, the first album, the first two albums I thought were really interesting, and it spawned a few, um, you know, Deftones. The first Deftones album, ugh, you know, when an album, um, Deftones, the first Deftones album starts off with a riff that, um, when I heard it, I go, I'm going to love this band. I'm going to love this album. I mean, period. There was no, no ifs, ands, you know, I mean, it was literally, it sold me the, the first, you know, the first 10 seconds of the first song sold me. the same thing with the first corn album when uh, the the first riff kicks in on that uh on blind it was the same thing i was like i'm gonna love this band um and then i started getting into some more heavier music i got into fear factory which um is another band that the first couple of albums are really super good um and even the the they, they kind of changed uh styles they were um a heavy, not death metal, but, um, definitely really heavy metal. And then, um, and then they changed to that industrial sound with, um, or they, uh, you know, it's almost like computerized industrial. Got into uh, corrosion of conformity. Um, gosh, who else? Nail bomb. I, and uh, I'd, that's when I discovered Sepultura. Now I I didn't have um, I didn't know about Chaos AD, but I found out about Roots. And um, if you've never heard it, Sepultura's Roots. Uh, they are a band from Brazil, and they had basically got Brazilian musicians to record with them on songs and mixed heavy metal with you know, Brazilian tribal things. And, and, uh, it was really, it was a good album. And, and, um,
then I went back from there and, and got chaos AD and other stuff. But, but so the point of it is, is that I, I got it, started getting into like super kind of what I thought was the heaviest music, you know, that I could possibly get into. Um, and then, uh, I moved to Spokane and when I moved to Spokane, uh, I started, I, I kind of, well, I discovered oil filter and oil filter was a local band in Spokane and they played a kind of music I had never heard. They played slow and heavy and super low. They tuned down an entire octave. They tuned down to uh, baritone E, um, which is insanely difficult to record. And so all the recordings of Oil Filter sound super muddy and super bassy. <laughs> when they played live, it was, it was incredible, but the recordings, um, the recordings really don't do them justice. Um, now I thought they were super original and they were original, but what I learned is that there were other bands that, um, sounded similar. Winter, uh, was one of those bands. Uh, Crowbar was later. Um, but, um, it was a similar type of sound. um, and then the Melvins, you know, they, they, uh, the Melvins were uh, kind of an inspiration. So that was uh, one thing uh, and one one type of music I kind of spun off to. But the other type was I started getting into obscure. And this is kind of where this started for me was getting into obscure music. Um, I'm just going to read some of these bands I, I wrote down. You know what? I may play like a little snip of each one. Um, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Two Skinny Jays. Floater, Skull Farmer, G Love and the Special Sauce. Dog Fashion Disco, Cake, Toadie Moshi, and Deadsy. Every night. 
night, looking for the fight Thoughts on the left, the actions on the right As you know, the it wasn't meant to be starved Place, white, revenge of the hit These were bands that people that nobody I knew was listening to. I don't even know how I found some of them. You know, it would be, uh, maybe you'd see a flyer. Maybe you'd hear, you know, see a little snip of something or whatever. Um, but, um, this is really when, um, I, I hate to call it music snobbery because I hate people that do this. I don't hate the people, but I, I don't, don't care for the, the, the action, you know, um, of this thing of like, oh, well, I'm better than you because I listen to stuff that nobody listens to. You know what? Now I listen to stuff I like. I mean, I could be listening to Fear Factory. I mean, on my phone on shuffle, you could get death metal or not death metal, but, um, you know, something really hardcore and then followed by Cindy Lauper. Or Boy George. I mean, I listen to whatever I like, and I'm not ashamed to like anything, you know. But um, but back then, I, I was like, I'm just, I'm just tired of um, you know following the crowd. I want to discover my own stuff, and so um, I started doing that. Um, I wasn't at that time. I wasn't really listening to rap because this was, this was kind of like during the um, Limp Biscuit era, like the rock rap kind of thing. And it was very frat boyish, I guess. And it just, you know, like I said, it was so mainstream and it was so, um, I don't know, just, just, um, polished and produced and and it felt like a, a product and I didn't like the product. I wanted art, you know? And so that's, I think that's why that pushback came of, uh, of wanting to listen to, to stuff off the beaten path that now later, I did find, um, rap, uh, again, you know, um, I think the beastie boys to the five boroughs, I don't think people give that album enough credit. It was a, a newer album that basically was the old school style. And that is such a great album. But, um, I, I got into Wu-Tang, not a lot, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'm the biggest Wu-Tang fan, but, um, it, it's another band like public enemy where, um, <clears throat> if you, um, it takes effort to understand musically what Wu-Tang is doing at times, you know, it's not always straightforward, um, uh, you know, lyrical structure. It's not always straightforward samples and stuff. You have to kind of work to understand or unravel some of the stuff that they do. So, and then, um, Man, uh, Jay-Z's Black Album was uh, fantastic. 99 Problems with Rick Rubin. No, I'm stopping you Because I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low. Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know. Am I under arrest or should I get some more? Well, you was doing 55 in the 54. Uh-huh. Lost the registration and step out of the car. You carrying a weapon on you. I know a lot of you are. Just, um, again, Rick Rubin, you know, putting... Um, Rock stuff, uh, like what he was doing with Run DMC, what he did with early Beastie Boys. Um, it, it, Rick Rubin is a genius. Um, 
So, you know, uh, in um, early 2000s, I started writing for this uh, web uh, magazine. And we started writing. It was a heavy metal magazine. And we started writing music reviews. And this got to this point where it was like, let's listen to the heaviest stuff we can. Like, you listen to this? You think that's heavy? I listen to this. And people trying to one-up each other. Um, that's kind of when I started listening to Mashuga, which is, um, I think they call math metal. They do things like, um, um, not, uh, polyphasic not the right word, but, um, like poly, I think it's poly tempo. <laughs> it's not the right word, but, um, where the drummer is playing two different, um, uh, time measurements uh, depending on the left hand and the right hand, you know, and, um, uh, you know, it really sounds like noise. A lot of it sounds like noise and you have to try to, it's not palatable. Um, you have to work at, at listening to it. And, um, but I, I did that because, you know, I was tired of hearing Bon Jovi on the, on the radio. I didn't, I was tired of that stuff, man. I wanted, you know, something different, but, um, um, but I think we one upped ourselves. Like I one up myself out to the point where I was listening to stuff I didn't enjoy, and and I was like, what What's the point of that? What's the point of that with music when you're listening to stuff that's not entertaining, you know? And so I had this total backlash, man. And I, I went back and just started, um, like I started listening to um, Harry Nielsen. I started listening to the Beatles again. I started listening to um, Phil Collins and the Cars and. Um, you know, just, just like classic rock, just going back and listening to whole albums, not just the stuff that was on the radio, but listening to, um, you know, early, like early Ramones or that's a bad example, but, um, the cars was a good one. Led Zeppelin was one where, where I just wanted to hear good musicianship, you know, and that really, you know, I think was, um, kind of brought things full circle for me. Um, you know, going back and just listening to music that I loved. I didn't, I finally quit caring. I didn't care about one-upping people. I didn't care if it was obscure. I didn't care. Really, I think the older you get, the less you start caring about what other people think. And, and I hit that with music earlier than uh, other things, but uh, I definitely hit that. You know, I definitely got to a point where I was just like, I just don't care. I, I don't, I don't care. Um, I, and that's not to say I didn't, listen to things that weren't, weren't popular, but, but that wasn't the driving force anymore. You know, um, I think by the time I stopped buying CDs, um, I have around 1200 CDs and, um, I should have sold them. I should have sold them. Um, I started ripping them all to MP3s and, um, you know, even when I was ripping them, you could get four or five bucks for a CD, three or $4 maybe. And, um, by the time I was done, I put them in the garage, I put them in these tubs and I was like, ah, I don't want to get rid of them just yet. And then the next time I turned around, they weren't worth anything. Like, like I would say probably three fourths of my CDs you could buy for a penny on Amazon, you know, just pay shipping. So I wasn't willing to sell them for a penny. So all those CDs that I had, I still have, I still, they're out in my garage, um, Everything I listen to now is MP3s. Um, I got into vinyl again, but not heavy. Um, the things that I buy on vinyl are things that you can't find on CD. I buy a lot of, this is dumb. I buy like children's records or, um, like compilations of things like that, you know, um, 
but uh, not. I don't do it for the audio, uh, the audio file. Like that's not not why I buy them. I buy them because you can't find them on CD or whatever. Um, you know what? This is a, a good spot for um another brief uh, music interlude. And then I'm going to talk about concerts that I've been to, and then we're going to wrap this up. concert I ever went to when I was 15 was um, Cinderella and uh, the Bullet Boys opened for them and the first opening band was Winger. (laughs) Now, I remember at the time thinking Winger was not cool. Uh, Now, this was before Beavis and Butthead uh, had met Stuart and he had his Winger shirt. As kids, we knew Winger wasn't cool. And the biggest thing that... uh, uh, that I had against him was, especially in concert and in his video, uh, a lot of times he's not playing his bass. He's just dancing around and t- pulling his shirt up. That wasn't what we wanted. I mean, not as a, not as a 15 year old dude, <laughs> we wanted people who played their instruments, you know? So, um, uh, I don't seem to remember uh, winger getting a, a big reception, but uh, bullet boys was great. I was, I liked the bullet boys. And of course, Cinderella, um, was, was a great band. Uh, so some of the memorable concerts I went to, well, again, I mentioned Pantera. Um, I, I, I have, uh, the, the first time Pantera played in Oklahoma city and they headlined, I have a VHS copy of that show. It's difficult to see things because the lighting is so weird, but, um, uh, oh, it, it just a, a great show. And of course it's all material from the first album because that's all they had out at the time. But, um, uh, it's great. Great show, great memories. Um, I saw um, Stone Temple Pilots with uh, the Flaming Lips and the Butthole Surfers. That was uh, outdoors at Tulsa. So we had driven up. It was in the middle of the summer. It was super hot. It was so hot that um, people were passing out. And so the uh, fire department came and uh, was, was shooting water into the air. Uh, and soaking in the crowd, which would also turn the pit into this giant mud hole. And then people were just like pushing each other in the pit and sliding in the mud and stuff. And, um, when, uh, between Tulsa and Oklahoma city is a turnpike and halfway, the only thing, the only place to stop is a McDonald's. 
And uh, so on the way home, we stopped at the McDonald's and there were all these people that were just covered <laughs> in mud from head to toe. And it, we called them the mud people. And we knew that they had uh, been at the show. Uh, Faith No More, I talked about. I saw them at a, a club called Kinetics. Uh, I believe the capacity there was 200 people. It was uh, just super small club. This was um, uh, when their first album or their first album with Mike Patton had come out, but uh, Epic had not been released as a single yet. So, um, uh, but that that was a crazy show. I remember um, some girl threw a pair of panties up on stage, and Mike Patton had these. Uh, uh, like big furry, like shorts made out of fur. And he put the panties on over the shorts. And um, at one point he climbed up the speakers and was hanging from the light fixture and, and the club people stopped and, and made him get down and stuff. They were afraid he was going to fall. Uh, that was, that was a pretty memorable show. Um, I got to see life of agony, who was one of my favorite bands in the, uh, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And, um, I actually got to interview them for a, uh, a web magazine. Um, I got to uh, go on their tour bus and interview the guys. And I was so starstruck. Susan went with me and, um, she saved the interview because she was just asking legitimate questions. And I was like, um, um, is it awesome being you? (laughs) Um, let's see. Uh, I've seen white zombie a few times. White zombie always put on a good show. I've never seen Rob zombie by himself, but, uh, uh, white zombie was great. Um, white zombie, uh, came out and, uh, when thunder kiss 65 was, uh, the big hit and it was on Beavis and butthead, they came out, uh, and that was the first song they played. And then they played all their other songs. And then the last song they played was thunder kiss 65 again. <laughs> I always like that. They knew what the crowd wanted to hear. Um, I saw a uh, corn and slipknot together. Um, I have gone on the record and said that I like Slipknot. I just don't like other people that like Slipknot. Um, and there, of course there are exceptions, but, uh, those Slipknot fans are a rowdy bunch. I'll tell you that. And, uh, anyway, so Justin went with me and Justin's friend, uh, his, his uh, parents' friend owned the venue where this concert was. And so he got us backstage passes. And so we actually, um, sat on the side of the stage and watched, uh, corn and watched slipknot and slipknot, um, you know, is not everybody's cup of tea, but their, their live show is amazing. I mean, you know, there's a guy playing metal cans. that's you know, 10 feet in the air spinning around with fire coming out. I mean, even if you're not into their music, it was, uh, it was definitely something to see. um, I saw Ugly Kid Joe at a concert. Uh, This is a a funny story. Um, Ugly Kid Joe was supposed to play, go on. uh, This was part of a a local radio was putting on what they called low-dough shows. There was a dollar to get in, and then um, they sold beer to make make the money. Well, uh, we went, a friend of mine and I went, and uh, whenever we got there, uh, the air conditioner was broke. So this was like 80 degrees in this place. And, uh, the band ugly kid, Joe didn't want to come on until uh, they fixed the air conditioning. So for like an hour, I don't know, uh, people are sitting there and they, they decided to have coin beer night. So any coin will buy you a beer. Uh, so people are just drinking beer after beer. So now you have, you know, a couple hundred people who are all drunk, uh, and hot and sweaty and pissed because this band has not come on. So eventually, Ugly Kid Joe comes on. 
they are playing either their first or second song. And I'm, you know, oh, I don't know, 15 rows back, maybe, maybe halfway through the crowd. And uh, I see a beer bottle come flying through the air from behind me all the way up on stage and hit the lead singer. And he goes down and the band's playing and then they kind of stop. And I'm like, oh, oh, they just killed Whitfield Crane. <laughs> Someone killed him. He died in Oklahoma. And uh, all of a sudden in the crowd, I see like pushing and the crowd is like sorting, like pushing apart, pushing apart, you know. And um, uh, all of a sudden this guy like hits me in the, like he's coming towards me and he hits me in the shoulder and walks right past me. And I look and I'm like, oh, that's Winfield Crane. <laughs> it was a lead singer. So he had um, hopped off stage and left the show. And uh, so we left right after that because I was pretty sure there was going to be a redneck riot that night. Um, so we got out of town. But um, so I, I did um, literally brush shoulders with the lead singer of Ugly Kid Joe. Um, I mentioned that I got to go see Ozzy with, um, Sepultura and typo negative typo negative. Uh, uh, Peter Steele was a lead singer. He passed away a drug overdose. Um, I did not like typo negative. I ended up seeing them live like three or four times. Like every time I turned around, they were opening for bands that I wanted to go see. And then later when I got into typo negative was when Peter Steele died. <laughs> so I was like, whoops, but I, I did get a chance to see them. They were fun. Uh, of course I've seen Megadeth. I've seen Metallica multiple times. Um, I got to go, I, I, I saw Motley Crue earlier in their career, maybe, um, girls, 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 um, or Dr. Feel Good. But, uh, I got to see them on their farewell tour with Alice Cooper opening. Alice Cooper is, <laughs> oh, what a great performer, you know, just a, a huge stage show and, um, uh, just impeccable musicians that he tours with. Alice Cooper really puts on a great show and Motley Crue puts on, they, I mean, they, they put on a good show and, um, uh, you know, it, it was funny that, um, you know, it, it is the farewell tour and Motley Crue said, uh, when they were done that none of them would be allowed to tour under the name Motley Crue again. And they mean it, uh, they have dissolved the uh, touring part of the band. And, um, it, you know, it was a little, a little hurt. I don't want to say hurtful, but, um, um, when, when they broke up or broke, not broke up when they retired, you know, all these little things started coming out that they weren't really friends, that it was just kind of a business relationship. You know, they asked Nikki six, like, Hey, how are the guys doing three months later? He says, I haven't talked to any of them, you know? And, and that was just kind of a bummer. Like, you know, you have this perception that all the guys in the band are all best friends, that they're a gang. I mean, that was that was Motley Crue's whole image when they were younger, right? That they were a gang, that, um, you know, if you picked a fight with one, you were going to have to fight all four of them. But, um, yeah, it seems like they just kind of grew apart, and that was really kind of a bummer to uh, to read that, you know, during their retirement. Uh, I have seen Slayer, and um, uh, I unequivocally state that Slayer was the loudest show I have ever gone to. Um, my ears probably rang for two days. Um, it, unbelievably loud. Um, good show, but uh, definitely, definitely loud. And um, and then finally, Weird Al. I have seen Weird Al live three or four times now. Um, I saw him in Oklahoma City. And then uh, he played Kansas City one year, and I took Mason. And then one year he played Tulsa, and the whole family went. And, uh, you know, still, I mean, I was a fan in 84 with um, Weird Al in, in 3D and, and um, Eat It and all that. And a, a, a fan today. You know, I still enjoy the stuff he does. Um, 
the last physical CD I bought was Weird Al's last CD. And, um, uh, I can't lie. I had already downloaded it. You know, I, I heard his album was available for download and I got the album. And then when it came out on CD, I bought it anyway. I don't even think I ever opened it. It may be in that tub unopened. Um, but, um, uh, you know, Al is just one of those guys that, uh, that I'll always support, you know? Um, so, um, you know, I, uh, dated this girl. This is, I'm changing topics here, but, um, in college, uh, there was this girl, um, I, I was pretty bold for, it just depends on when it was, you know, but, um, uh, this is like maybe my sophomore year of college and, um, uh, this girl worked at a taco place and I went in and I was like, you are so attractive and I would love to take you out to dinner and all this stuff. And it worked, you know, and, um, she wasn't that attractive, <laughs> but that's not a good line. You can't tell a girl she's not that attractive. That, that line doesn't work. And, uh, so anyway, uh, we went out a few times. She came and hung out with my friends and, um, I took her out to eat, you know, and, um, plus she worked at this taco place. So, uh, when they were closed, I would go there and I would get free tacos. So that was a good side, side, uh, uh, fringe benefit, you know, but I remember maybe we'd gone out two or three times and we had this conversation. I was like, so what music do you listen to? And she said, I don't, I don't know, whatever's on the radio. And I'm like, well, what are your, what are your favorite songs? And she had no answer. Eh, whatever's on, you know, and it was such it was so shocking to me that she did not have any favorite songs, any favorite artists, no preference at all. And uh, I, I won't, I can't say, I can't honestly say that that's the reason we broke up. But I re, I really remember thinking, like, I don't know that I would want to be attached to someone that didn't wasn't passionate about music in any way. Um, so it may not have been the only reason that things didn't work out, but it, it was definitely, um, a contributor to that. Like, I just thought, I don't know that I want to date somebody that's not into any kind of music, not just my kind of music, but any music, you know? Um, I, uh, I remember hearing, um, the presidents of the United States of America, you remember them with, uh, uh, peaches and, and, um, lump. And, um, I bought their CD and, um, like the weekend before I was going on a work trip. And so I, I went on a work trip, I went to Arizona and I remember sitting on this couch and I had a, a, a suite. So there was a bedroom and then there was a little front room and a couch and stuff. And I laid on the couch and there was a little lamp and I had the light on and I lay there and with a, a CD Walkman, um, and, uh, the CD and I listened to the entire album. I just laid there and read the lyrics and it was kind of like that same experience when I was a kid being on the beanbag, you know, I was in my hotel room, there was nothing to do. Um, and, um, it was just such this, um, this cool little moment, you know, like I remember that and, and, um, you know, the internet, was a double-edged sword for me. The internet, um, <clears throat> you know, when, when I was um, younger, you know, I, I could only afford to buy so many cassettes a, a week, you know what I mean? Or, or however many, you know, or find out about them. And all of a sudden with the internet, 
Um, you know, when, when MP3s first came out and, and I think when, when I first discovered MP3s, I was still dial up, you know, and, um, you would get a song, right? Like you would download a song and then, um, you, you know, once you got cable modem and high speed internet, <clears throat> if, um, you wanted a song, you would like, well, I'll just get the whole album, you know? Uh, and then it got to the point where you would go, I'll just get every album. You know, if you wanted, um, you know, some song from the police, you would just type in police discography and there would be this zip file and it would say, here's however many, you know, 10 albums from the police and you download that. And now all of a sudden you have, like you have an entire band's history on your computer, you know, and, and then later on your phone. Right. And, um, um, and it was too much. Like it was, you couldn't go through it fast enough. And that relationship for me with the physical thing, um, ruined it. Like the, you know, having that, that album that just the lyrics sitting there and reading them while I was laying on that couch, you know, that was gone. Now it was, it was like worthless. Like you could have everything and it just became worthless, you know, and it, it really ruined it. Like the ability to get everything should have, should have made it awesome. And instead it just made it worthless, you know, and I just hate it. Um, and, and, you know, you might say like, well, you could fix that. You could just go buy albums. Um, but you know, I guess the internet may have just been part of it, you know, and the other part of it was, was, um, is getting old, <laughs> you know, um, if you were to say, you know, who's your favorite bands now, my favorite bands now are the, my favorite bands from the nineties, you know, like there aren't that many new bands. Like when we're in the car and, and my wife, my wife likes to listen to the, the pop station, you know, that the kids like, and I'm like, who is this? Who is this? I don't know who this is. I've never heard this song. I've never heard this person. You know, uh, we just recently, you know, when the MTV music awards were on, I was like, I don't know any of these people. Like I might know if there's somebody for the lifetime achievement award, I might know that person, but, um, uh, it, it's, it's just not, um, like something happened, you know? And all of us, like, like I, I told my kids one day, I was like, you know, all this stuff sounds the same. And then I immediately, I stopped and I was like, wow, I sound like my parents, you know, I sound like everybody's parents where, um, it, it happened. Like I, there was a time in my life where I couldn't imagine a life without finding new music and exploring and doing all that stuff. And all of a sudden I just don't, it just, I lost it. You know, it, it's in a way it's heartbreaking. And, and I'll tell you something I think that, that related, um, to at least part of it. When I was a kid, I could multitask. I could multitask. Like I could be on the computer and have the TV going and have the stereo going. I mean, I could have 10 things on at a time. And now like when I'm on the computer, if I have music going, it distracts me. You know, if I'm trying to write something, the music distracts me. If I'm trying to, um, listen to music. I can't have the TV on, you know? So, so that the inability to do two things at once, like now, if I want to listen to a new album, I would have to turn everything off, turn my phone off, you know, shut my door, whatever, and listen to the album. And I, and I just can't do that anymore. I mean, you could do it in your car to an extent, but, um, 
it's just not the same, you know? So, I mean, I'm kind of rambling and belaboring the point, but, uh, yeah, something happened. I don't know. Um, I'd like to say when I turned 40, but it was probably earlier than that. It was probably mid thirties where all of a sudden, you know, I didn't want to listen to whatever the latest thing was. I wanted to go back and listen to the early Beatles. I didn't want to listen to, uh, you know, people were like, Oh, you know, this band was inspired by Led Zeppelin. Well, maybe I'll just go listen to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying there's not good music. Of course, there's good music, now, you know, but um, for me, I don't know. I just, um, I started finding more enjoyment in going back and listening to um, a lot of the stuff that I missed uh, than um, listening to the new stuff. So that's um, kind of where I am today. Now, um, I wrote a list down here at the end of um, just a few songs, a few albums and stuff that really meant uh, something to me. I'm not going to read them all because I've covered a lot of these so far. Um, System of Down uh, put out two albums, Mesmerize and Hypnotize. And um, if you put them together on a single CD, they are exactly, uh, it's enough for one CD. It's 74 minutes and the end the ending of the end song fades out and then the, uh, the same song fades in at the beginning. So you could listen to it on loop. Uh, so it's designed to kind of be one, one thing that loops around, um, system of a down, you know, uh, they have things that, uh, that I liked and didn't like or whatever, but those two albums, uh, I, I have gone on road trips and listened to that album, you know, those two albums together three or four times in a row. Um, it's just, um, the musicianship, the, the harmonies, the, everything, the way that those albums go together, um, just, uh, really kind of blew me away. Allison Chains, Life of Agony, The Cure, we've talked about those. Um, Tool, I will mention, um, especially uh, Anima. Um, Anima is a uh, uh, a song about, um, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek song, but it's about uh, hoping that uh, California will get um, struck by a meteor and um, <laughs> knocked into the ocean. And, uh, and the guy says, um, uh, Maynard from uh, tool, he says, um, he'll see you down in Arizona Bay, which is a, kind of a, a reference to an old, uh, Bill Hicks comedy routine. But, uh, um, <clears throat> there's a, uh, a part near the end of the song where he says, you know, he's got good advice, you know, he's got some advice for you. Um, and he says, learn to swim. And, um, for this, um, kind of became my uh, mantra, um, I know at work for a while, um, like I was really real. This was long time. I mean, 10 years ago, but I was really disenfranchised at work. I was really tired and I wanted to do something else. And, um, I actually wrote, learn to swim on my cubicle with a Sharpie, <laughs> which everybody thought I was a little crazy. Uh, and I probably was a little crazy, but, um, but yeah, the, um, 
Uh, there's something about that song. It's like so incredibly depressive and still a little, you know, black humor, I guess. But, uh, That song really resonated with me. There's there's some others here on the list. There's um, uh, well, two. I'm going to mention two. I'm going to skip these. I'm going to mention two. One was um, uh, Urban Dance Squad, and uh, Urban Dance Squad was a uh, they had a song called Deeper Shade of Soul, and um, they were um, oh I don't know, kind of this conglomerate. You know, they were hip hop, but they were um, you know they had musicians and. Um, uh, I think I found out, I read about them in a, a skater magazine, uh, at the time. And then I, that's, I think where I discovered them, uh, the, they had a DJ and the DJ was in the videos wearing a, a Charlie Brown shirt, like a yellow shirt with the black zigzags. And I went and bought one of those immediately. I thought that was so cool. Um, but, um, you know, the theme of this song, deeper shade of soul is, uh, uh, that they, they it says that they blend, all their musical styles. And then they also, um, uh, blend the color of their skin, you know? And I, I always like the, the uh, visual, you know, because it's, it's, um, uh, you know, this, this crazy in the video, crazy uh, black guy playing bass. And there's a, a white guy who's a DJ and there's this other surfer dude who's playing guitar. And, um, uh, uh, the, the, there's a, the vocalist is a black guy, you know, but it's like all these different people and they're just making awesome music. And, um, you know, um, uh, I, I have this, uh, a friend of mine from work. He, he doesn't live uh, here in Oklahoma. His name's Earl. And, um, uh, our upbringings couldn't be more different. Other, I mean, he, um, is a, uh, a black guy who, um, grew up in Atlanta I'm a white guy who grew up in the middle of Oklahoma. I mean, our, our experiences are so different, you know, and, um, uh, we met in person through work and started talking about, um, eighties hip hop. And we found out that we just both loved, you know, that era of music and, um, uh, even, you know, newer stuff. And, um, and he actually is a, a musician. I mean, on, he records music and, and writes his own music and lyrics and stuff. And he's, he's really good, you know? And, um, for some reason that song makes me think of him and it makes me think of just, um, you know, that, um, music can really like, you know, create these bridges between people. Like you can, you can bond with somebody over music that you wouldn't have anything else in common. And, and once you can make that connection through music, you can make other, you know, your, your friendship can, can blossom from that point. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, it's like me and Jeff, it's, uh, I mean, we like the, you know, it was different style of music, but Jeff and I were like, Hey, you know, you like metal. I like metal. And, and then, you know, I mean, that started a friendship that has lasted for, you know, 30 years. And, um, you know, my friend Earl is the same way. Like we don't talk every day. We don't, um, 
but you know, that, that was, it's like a springboard. Like we can start talking about that and we can move on to, to, um, much larger, much deeper issues, you know? And, um, I just, I have the, um, you know, just, I just really enjoy uh, our conversations, but but it all spawned from music. You know what I mean. So even though we were um, had you know nothing, I mean you wouldn't think we would have anything in common, but that little thing in common led to us finding that we had more in common. You know, so. But, um, yeah, so Urban Dance Squad, uh, Deeper Shade of Soul, uh, makes me think of that. And then um, the last one on the list, uh, I'll jump it down here, is um, Joe Jackson stepping out. Um, you know, for Joe Jackson um, is a, a brilliant – I've read his uh, autobiography. He's a, he's a great musician. His uh, The fact that he writes pop music or wrote pop music is uh, really deceiving because he's a really amazing uh, uh, musician. And, um, uh, stepping out is this, um, <clears throat> simple. I'm losing my voice. I've been talking about music for so long. Um, uh, it, it's about going out on the town. That's all it's really about. But if you, you start peeling away the layers, um, you know, he, he says, uh, we, we're young, but getting old before our time, we'll leave the TV and the radio behind. Don't you wonder what we'll find stepping out tonight? And so, you know, it just, especially if you watch the video too, but it conjures up this image of, um, you know, as a kid, it was strong, but as an adult, it's even stronger. Um, you know, he, he says we can leave the TV and the radio behind. Like how many of us spend our nights at home? Like, Oh, just sit in front of the TV or sit in front of the computer or whatever. Um, and, um, you know, he, he, in the video and, and like I said, in the song, you know, he, he doesn't want to do that. Um, and instead he's like, you know, he says, we don't know where we're going. We're going to go find adventure. You know, all we got to do is leave the house. All we got to go in it. And it's that, um, it's that wonder of, um, leaving your, your safety zone, like finding that person and, um, going out on an adventure, you know, and it's just, um, and the timing of it, you know, whether it could just be that, you know, that one time where, where, uh, you're like, let's, let's have this adventure. You know what I mean? Like, like, um, you're not going to be tied at home. You're just going to go. And, um, I mean, I, I heard that song when I was a little kid and I, and I don't know that I understood it all, you know, at the time, but there was something about it that resonated with me where it was like, don't, don't just sit at home, just take that one night and go, you know? And, um, 
uh, it's funny that music can do that, you know, that a song can, can inspire you like that. But, uh, um, you know, Joe Jackson, like I said, he's a, a interesting fellow. So, well, I'm right. I was right. Uh, this is the officially the longest, uh, I'm at two hours right now. And, um, once I go back and put in, uh, music cues and bits of songs, it's going to be even longer. So, um, you know, I, uh, my, my iPhone, <laughs> when, when I, uh, when I had that Firebird and when I had my Mustang, uh, I had this, uh, cassette, like a, a briefcase that held uh, 30 cassettes, you know, and then I got one later that held 60, it held 30 per side. Uh, and that was a lot of music, you know? And, um, then later, um, when, when I got a CD player in my car, you know, I got this, CD wallet that held like 24 CDs. But then later I got the big ones, like the one that held like 200 CDs. Uh, and you would put that in your car and then pray that nobody stole your 200 CDs, you know? Um, but, uh, I, you know, I looked at my phone and on my phone, I have 5,000 songs, uh, which would be, you know, five, basically 500 albums. Uh, if you figure it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there's there's more out there that I could put on there, but um, that's with me all the time. So, you know, every time I get in the car, I just have it on shuffle. Like I said, it, it could be heavy metal. It could be, you know, 80s. It could be 70s, whatever. But, um, but, I, but I mean, every song that's on my phone is one that I like and enjoy. And, and um, uh, it's funny because I'm not always in the mood for it, you know, like I'll, I'll hit these songs. And I'll be like, nah, I don't want that. Nah, I don't want that. And then, then I'll hit one. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good one. You know, but, um, um, so I, I still love music today. I just, uh, kind of lost that thing for finding new music. Uh, so, but I have, um, talked till my throat burns about music. So I think, uh, here's where I will part. I don't know when I'll do another, you don't know flack, but I had some time uh, this evening and I want to do, uh, talk about music and sit down and, and, uh, make sure that everything here on the, on the, uh, pod cart still works. So, uh, until next time, this is, uh, Jack Flack saying, um, uh, happy, uh, podcast listening to you and, uh, go find, uh, maybe go find a song, uh, that inspires you to step out tonight later on. say
into a car. 